Welcome to the Potion Podcast, your raw look at the hospitality industry, brought to you by SHC. What has happened in PostShifters? Welcome back to another episode of the PostShift Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Sean Sewell. Um, I'm f- absolutely loving it. It is my birthday today. I can I can say that. I was going to try and keep it like a little low-key, but uh, I'm doing all this Facebook stuff. I wish Facebook would fix this thing where I have my privacy, and this is why you always see me at the start of these shows, to turn the privacy to public because then it works on my other stuff, so my chat and whatnot. So you can see people can actually talk to us while we're doing it. And if it's not on public, it doesn't work. So if you ever wonder what I'm like fiddling with when I do my intros, that's exactly what I'm fiddling with. I've had to close down Facebook on my computer because all I get is notifications every two seconds because everybody's saying happy birthday. But I digress. Um, today I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I reconnected with Micah Do uh, from Maker's Mark, the Maker's Mark diplomat for Western Canada, um, a couple of months ago for a Maker's Mark event. I can't believe it was a couple of months ago already. Um, this year has gone way too quickly. It's almost December. Um, and so I was like, oh, you know what? Like I gotta I gotta fill out some Canadian Canadiana content for the podcast. And I thought, what well, what better way? And the cool thing is that Micah and I sort of trajectory wise went the same route when it came to starting our careers because we both started our careers about the same time and flair in the late 90s was very very big i blew out my left shoulder and then i dislocated a shoulder during a competition so i was like i'm just going to give up the flare from now on your backhand stall and your left shoulder pops out in the middle of a, a presentation it's like mm, i think this might not be for me um but then we got into cocktails and everything else so i'm really looking forward to it because maker's mark has been not dormant uh in western canada uh over the last couple of years but um just the boom of bourbon uh not having enough product to actually sort of push push it hard and so i'm really looking forward to this conversation about where mike got to start flare tending because it's still a massive thing i know cocktail nerds listening are going to be like yeah is flare still a thing i'm gonna go yes flare is still a very very big thing so uh Micah, welcome thank you very much for having me sean so you're in calgary right now is this one of your first trips away isn't it this uh not one of my first first trips to calgary in in a while and uh that's one of the interesting things about uh getting back on the road and, and getting a chance to connect to different communities across uh the, across the country is you go oh i haven't been here since carry the 18 yeah. 19 and yeah so it's been like three years uh oh my gosh so it's it's really strange and then you're like all of the sort of the cream of the crop uh, that are out there right now you're like okay well where are they now and it's mm. like hey where did we see each other and like okay tell me where you were like two years ago okay okay now i know the direct and it's so incredible like uh everyone had to scramble everyone had to sort of like you either crawled your way through and scraped by uh and was like okay we're just going to every day is going to be a different challenge we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> the Ross and uh, friends, we're going to pivot every yeah. single day. <laughs> like, I don't ever want to hear that again. And uh, I know you've talked about another podcast. Like if I hear hybrid one more time. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it snowing right now? It is not. It's actually beautiful and sunny. Uh, oh, I did get to take a trip to Edmonton and they did not like me because I brought a blizzard. You know, I was leaving oh. Vancouver with our torrential rains and that was scary. And then so crushing to see my home province just be completely devastated at the infrastructure. And then it brought a blizzard uh, as it came its way into the uh, into Alberta. And so there was a total blizzard, and but it was actually really nice the rest of the week. So 
that that snow is probably going to be there to stay. So uh, I love it, though. I love Alberta. Uh, I love this country, you know, getting to travel across all of the different provinces. And uh, that's one of the best parts about this role. You know that, like if it wasn't bartending competitions and conferences, uh, you know, that's one of the best things about it is I love when you talk to bartenders. And I know you were one of the ones that did it as well, which you planned your your year with conferences and cocktail <laughs> pretty yeah. much yeah As, uh, what, what do you think some work in between <laughs> yeah for for seeing it's been three years uh what did you think about edmonton's cocktail scene i think it's been spectacularly blown up i think i was there 2019 because i did the book tour for great northern cocktails and so i was just floored just floored with the the scene there it you're not wrong. Uh, deservedly so. They are doing great. The community, it's about getting them back to that, having the community come together again and just being allowed to. Um, that's going to continue, but they're doing great things there. And they're really collaborative. Like it's not, oh, you know, this spot's the best and you can't have another best spot. You know, when mm-hmm. we've talked about this, like what makes a really good bartender is like, you don't need to be afraid of others. Like, it's sort of that we're going to rise that whole community up and we're going to help each other and push each other to get better. Uh, and one thing that they've done that I find is people in Edmonton, the consumers, the guests, they understand, respect it, and they'll travel and go to spots that have a good program. Um, I actually heard a lot, and this was interesting for me, beer halls and and those like there's great beers. There's great, there's always going to be craft, uh, you know, breweries opening up. But a lot of those are starting to see a huge increase in cocktail sales. And on certain nights, cocktail sales over outpace wow. beer sales. And that was at beer halls. That's cool. Yeah. I find Edmonton's a lot like Victoria and Calgary's a little bit more like Vancouver. Like, is this that mm-hmm. sort of rivalry, big city, like big city versus smaller city? And it's always that rivalry of uh, that sort of collaboration. And then who's going to be the best? Is Victoria the best? Is Vancouver the best? Yeah. Um, so let, let's take it back. Like, as I said in the intro, like you started in the flare industry and you were much bigger than I would ever consider myself. But like your flare experience really was huge and influential especially in canada because canada has such a small flair community um so let's take us back how did you get in the industry yeah so great question and uh thanks for having me on your show like i love i love uh you know long time listener first time uh, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, i get to i get to now say i've been on the show and is there a hall of fame because there's (laughs) people that have been on here and uh, on on your birthday are you kidding me Facebook, thank heavens. And, uh, you know, all your friends are posting little photos of a uh, happy birthday guy. And I was like, that's hilarious. So uh, we got you some, I'm going to send you out some Maker's Mark socks because you can't look distinguished without some nice awesome. Maker's Mark socks. And uh, you get a little wonderful. <laughs> My so, daughter's going to love one of her stuffies I, in one of like, those. Either your cat or your dog is going to be really <laughs> angry when your kid tries to put it in. Or, yeah, so your dog's <laughs> perfect. You know, happy kids, happy wife, happy life. Exactly. That's, you know, exactly. I always try to make sure you get some uh, <laughs> time with the family. But, yeah, to get back to where I started, uh, I started when I was 14 in, in the hospitality industry. Started at a restaurant, and I was a busser, uh, you know, helping be a server assistant. And that was great. My dad was construction. Uh, I helped out with that. And that was hard work and there was no girls. So it was way better in a restaurant uh, and the hustle and bustle. And I definitely like nighttime uh, activities in terms of like work. I prefer night. I don't know. It was just always, always there. More of a night owl than, than staying up uh, during the daytime. And uh, 
So, you know, it was wonderful and just having that experience while you're going to school. It was a little bit limited in my duties and got tired of that as it was all just being a service assistant. So then I started in the kitchen and I worked up from dishwasher, uh, enjoyed that to prep cook, and then from prep cook to sous chef. Nothing crazy what they were doing today. And, uh, you know, had I known that there was like Red Seal certifications and things going on. I think I would have like kept going. I really liked it. I really liked the back of the house, but I did feel a little bit trapped and I wanted that interaction with guests. So I started working in a coffee shop and I was in a coffee shop for almost two years uh, at a ski resort in the Okanagan. And I really loved the interaction with guests. I love learning about coffees and having different uh, flavor profiles with teas and coffees. And, you know, you just, you fall in love with it. And then, I don't know. We didn't have latte art competitions back then, but (laughs) had there been a creative outlet, maybe it would have stayed doing that. So, Uh, and then as soon as I was old enough uh, to get a job in a nightclub, I got a job uh, in a bar uh, as a busser. And I thought, woohoo, I'm hitting the jackpot. Instead of going out and spending money, uh, I'm actually going out making money and getting paid to party. This is amazing. (laughs) So I did that. uh, And I was going to school for, for psychology. And so, that was really wonderful if I saw some, let's call it interesting behavior in the bar. I'd just start asking some questions like, oh, oh uh, where are you from? Do you have any brothers and sisters? Oh, that's not a good part of town. And oh, you're an only child. Okay. And you know, you go through and I just would make a little mental profile. And then I'd say, huh, you know, go into class and be studying and be like, oh, if yeah, so this trait, this trait, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of nice. There's going to be some really uh, tough, <laughs> tough road ahead for this individual. Uh, so I thought, oh, I'm really applying what I'm reading. Uh, it's uh, probably a fool's dream. But uh, yeah, so I loved it. I really enjoyed the hustle and bustle in the nightclub. Uh, just creating like creating escape for people is what I saw it as, you know, and they weren't here for a long time. So just make them have a really good time. And I loved helping the bartenders and being that bar back and trying to move up. And then I finally started bartending and that was wonderful. So the whole time I knew like, and you'll know it, like it, it didn't matter. It was like your skills, either your looks or your ability or a combination. And you got a better shift at a better bar. You, you know, you, everything we do in this industry, you put the work in and you get to see it at the end of that shift. Right. That's amazing in terms of like if you're building a podcast, you're like, I'm going to grind it out. I'm going to do this. You're like, OK, here's how many followers. But it really takes a long game. Whereas your shift, you get to see how much tips you make. And then you start to get to see how many guests you have coming in every night. Are they you know, I always heard if a guest doesn't tip you, but they come back, that's a 100 percent tip. Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, they're paying your wage and they're in your bar again. Uh, and I always knew a busy bar, you know equal means more and more and more people will wait outside to get in. You know, nobody wants to go to a dead bar. So the more you do, the more you invest in yourself, the more you learn, the better you're going to do. So that's where I ended up seeing uh, Dave Simpson uh, in the Okanagan. And he was like, Hey, we have a flair bartending class coming up and uh, you should really take a look at this. And I was like, okay, well, what's flair? And he took a bottle and he threw it behind his back and he caught it. I was like, man, that's so cool. He's like, yeah, I want to see something else. I was like, sure. And he did the exact same move. And I was like, cool. Got anything else? He's like, no, come to this. 
Sorry, Dave, but I'll always remember that. <laughs> and Dave's amazing. He, uh, you know, if you want to talk about one of the top people in the in Kelowna, and you know, he's got uh, simp syrups that are coming mm-hmm. out, uh, which is fantastic. Over with Jerry Joe, but uh, you know, so Dave, I have to give Dave Simpson credit. He uh, he really touched on it, and then that was Scott Young with extreme yeah. tanning, and I ended up taking that. And so here's the thing, and I think your listeners and yourself will understand is like. We're going to do a seminar on flare bartending and customer service. But really, I just heard flare bartending yeah. and eight hours a day. OK, what is it? It's on Saturday and Sunday. It's like I work Saturday and I work Friday. Why the heck? I'm not starting at what time in the morning? So, OK, Saturday happens. The majority of the time we're talking about customer service. We're talking about this. We're talking about engaging guests. And I was like, dude, get to the flare part. <laughs> I want to flip some stuff. And so I go to work that night and I'm like, man, I don't know. I'm going to go back. Like I'm tired. This is going to go all night. I'm going to get like another four hours sleep for the next class to hear about customer service. Like I don't want to learn to flip some bottles. <laughs> and that night I made like 50% more tips on just saying hi and being focused on the guest and all the, and I was like, gosh, darn it. Maybe there's a reason. Son of a bitch. Yeah. I'm so tired. And uh, yeah. And then we'd go back and it was so flare heavy the next day. Cause it's all about flare is a business and it was a chance. Sorry. I think some notifications are coming up. Uh, <laughs> if I mute you and turn it down, I won't be able to hear anything. Uh, so sorry. And so having them use flair as a business tool it's a way to engage guests and, and that's where i've sort of seen it is it can go wrong and that's sort of like dude hey clown just give me my drink like mm. there's always going to be those comments my favorite is when you have a video online and like enough just give me my drink i'm like you're watching a video fast forward or how about this you're not even getting a drink you're watching a video. here is an old-fashioned video that takes two and a half minutes there you go there's the link just go watch that didn't you didn't you get something in one of your fantastic like uh one minute cocktails and yeah like hurry up or something you're like yeah like what about the rest of us yeah exactly good (laughs) well i i learned to flare because it being in australia like we we had a bit of a flare thing and i judged a whole bunch and organized a lot but i had dean saniel's vhs tapes back in the day and i literally would clear out my living room and get my flare co bottle or a malibu bottle wrapped in duct tape and sit there and do the dean saniel's videos which i wish i had still because they'd be worth bank now oh my like God. they would they would be worth bank on ebay yeah that's really interesting i was uh yeah i had the vhs for for extreme bartending that's how it came out and then you start collecting and trying to find all these different ones and uh yeah uh, getting to you know it so it was great and i started off so i went the next day we learned a lot about flair and i got to see just this community uh and i remember we were practicing and i did my competition like much it was too early for me. I was like, man, I don't want to do it. And I got forced into it. And this will be similar for people that are listening about cocktail competitions. Like just go. And you mentioned Dean Sunil's. He's one person who said, Micah, go and compete for the sake of competing. And what he, like what I took from that was like, you compete because it helps drive you and improve your skills. You're putting yourself out there. So you, you, you're like, Oh my God, I'm so nervous. Oh my God, my heartbeat. And I don't want to do this. And this is so much work. But then when you come out the other side, you're like, that was great. 
that was great. And you're a better bartender, you're a better person for it when you're applying yourself. So, um, you know, and that's what I interpreted from, you know, compete for the sake of competing. It's also driving your craft, right? It's, it's your community as a whole. And you can contest this and seeing so many is like, when you're meeting those people, it was great. I remember doing a uh, the Big Apple uh, bartending competition uh, in New York City, and we're backstage, we're getting things prepped. And Tom died. Wait a second, what year was that? Ah, uh, two thousand. Was it ten? No, earlier it would be earlier. Two thousand seven. Could have been, yeah, could have been. Because I was there doing the cocktail competition because it was at the Javits Center. There you and go. I got, and I got up to compete, and uh, Christian Delpeche got up to compete for the flair competition at the same time. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you guys watching me? Like, you, don't, <laughs> you shouldn't be watching me doing this cocktail. It was me and Tad Caducci. And I'm like, go watch Christian Delpeche. <laughs> like, go watch Christian Delpeche. And then I went out with Ken Hall and yeah. Robin Clausen to uh, Milk and Honey for the first time. Fair. And I was like a 27-year-old kid. Like, I was like, only been in Canada for like eight months. And I was like, <laughs> how am I in New York City and going to Milk and Honey with Ken Hall, Robin Clausen. Dean gave up his seat for me at Milk and Honey because he went off to uh, Coyote Ugly because he was doing that country TV thing okay, at yeah, the time. I remember that, yeah. And so, like, I was just like, this is an incredible experience. But, yeah, that was a – like, you look at some of the photos of me back then, I really, really wish uh, I still looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> the crazy thing is your accent hasn't changed right so <laughs> no, I'd, I'd be a, i'd be a very average looking canadian if i didn't have an accent um so one of the great things that tom said he like we're backstage and tom dyer's taping i was like oh why do you do that and he taught me how to like tape bottles up a little bit better and what you're doing is you're using electrical tape you're taping around the bottles so that when you're juggling and flipping them the spout doesn't fly off um, inadvertently in your grip. And so that was really good. And just all these little things. And what I learned is this, the community of flair bartenders is so welcoming and so helpful. And they're like, okay, we're at a competition. I'll help you. I want to beat you, but absolutely. <laughs> I want to beat you, but I'll help you. And if I beat you on your best day, I'm better than you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you weren't feeling well or your shoulders sore. Ah, rats. You know, there's always that, like, I didn't beat them at their best. And I loved that. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, one of my favorites is Tim Fluffy Morris. Like mm -hmm. he's the most entertaining bartender uh, that I've seen. And I love it. And, you know, he started doing stand-up comedy. And he goes, oh, really? Yeah. And he goes, this is not for me. And he goes, this is, this is not enjoyable. Like the whole welcoming community part. No, they're, they're like ruthless backstage. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. So I remember him talking about it. He was like, I did it for a little bit. And then, yeah, it's not for me. So, but he's one of, he's one of my favorites uh, just to see. And it's, it's funny when you start going along, like Christian Delpash was four time world champion and he was incredible. And he, who's, it was someone I idolized uh, in going through it. And, you know, when he stopped being champion, it's because he let his brother or his brother. Yeah. Started being, you know, he's like, my brother's even better than me. So now Roto, you know, is king of it. And so that was the, the time. And when I got into Fleur Barton in Canada, you talk about it. And it was, it was really infant in terms of what was doing. But I wasn't the first. Right. Like there was Scott Young who was working at the at the Roxy. But, you know, there was Mark Mattel one of the top mm -hmm. flair bartenders, you know, in the world. And he was from Canada. I was like, holy smokes, this is awesome. Like Marcin Delecki was another one. And they both happened to work at the Roxy Burger and the Roxy in Vancouver. <laughs> so for me, I was like, I'm falling in love with this place called the Roxy. What is it? You know, and uh, it's pretty wild when you think what we've gone through 
I went down, it would have been the 15th anniversary party of the Roxy. I think they just turned 31 or 32 mm. now. I waited outside because I couldn't get in. But I drove for four hours and we we're like, we wow. want to go to this party. Dave Simpson got in because he knew the right people. And they're like, we don't have enough room. And I was outside and I was just that lost puppy. Like, wow, the party inside's crazy. You're <laughs> <laughs> like, like, hey, have you ever stood outside of a lineup? Uh, yeah, I've done that. And it was pretty wild. And then I went back for the 16th and, uh, and, and that was really fun. And I started working there as well. And it was one of the top bars in Western Canada and, and arguably still is. So hopefully when all the, when we're get, able to get back to what we're doing and uh, we've always focused on live music, it's always creating a wonderful experience for the guests. And uh, when I worked there for almost 10 years, there was a sign uh, on our downstairs staff area upstairs. It said to Disneyland. And it was that very, it was that mindset of like, no. upstairs is the party downstairs. Hey, take your face off, blah, blah, blah. But upstairs you're a character. And you mm-hmm. make sure people have a good time. And I love that. And they, they still have that. Like Sasha's still there. He's the general manager. And Vic's still, you know, a key component. Uh, and you'll see him at the door. And the staff there keep that alive and they keep going. And it's been really great to see. And so those ones are always huge influences uh, uh, being there. Uh, also, I'd be remiss if I didn't say about Chuck Mack. You know, yeah. Chuck Macintosh is Come on, bottle. I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna bring up Chuck because of uh, bottle slingers. Oh, bottle slingers previews and the videos were just fantastic. And I've never met anyone who's actually got banned from the US for multiple years for just trying to take some DVDs to Vegas. Like, right? <laughs> like, so. I think he's allowed back to the US now. I don't. I think, I, I think so. the, the ban has been thing. But I think last time I talked to him was about five years ago. He still wasn't allowed. Yeah. So. What? How did you make the transition away from Flair? And obviously, I, I feel like Flair is a very customer service centric um, element of bartending that I think a lot of bartenders in this day and age could sort of learn from and build from. Um, because a lot of people like they, the, the hardcore cocktail mixologists, I'm going to do the abbreviates, they, they go, oh, well, Flair's like, yeah, give me my drink. Um, but like it all came out of Jerry Thomas. Like Jerry Thomas was the, the godfather of both elements of bartending, high-end cocktails as well as Flair. And there's been a massive shift in the last couple of years I know from competitions that uh, Flair competitions have definitely started focusing on the cocktails at the end because like during the late 90s, early 2000s, like no one really cared about what the cocktail tasted like in a Flair comp. It was really just about the performance. And if the cocktail was good, awesome. I'm not drinking shit. I'm going to get a good cocktail at the end of this performance. But I know that that sort of started changing mid 2000s, sort of focusing on cocktails. And then you see like, um, is it Dario? Yeah, Dario Domo. He made the transition from world-class Flair tender which he still is to high-end cocktail bartender at um, uh, Mr. Coco's in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. he, he's sort of still in Vegas's bar scene as a, as a high-end cocktail bartender. So how did you make that, that transition? No, that's a great one. And it really, for me, we saw a shift. Uh, so I had the pleasure of being the number one Canadian bartender for two years in a row. And to me, that meant a lot because if you looked at our landscape and who we're competing against, like, and I started to see it when you start to get that, those higher ups, like um, when you start to get in the top 10 in the world, that top 13 in the world, <laughs> it was really like people, oh, what was your job? Was it bartending or was it flair bartending mm. competitions? Because there was enough money that you could make being the oh, top. Yeah. If you were the top like five or top three consistently, you could go around the world and do flair bartending competitions. 
So then 2008 was the, the stock, the market crash and funding and these extravagant, like we had with Ken Hall working with the Fleur Barts Association, um, you know, they had $100,000 as a prize purse for, you know, and they broke that down to categories, which they did really well is, okay, it costs everyone to come down here. So let's give a little bit to the rookies. Let's do an amateur, let's do an advanced and let's do a pro division, right? And so mm-hmm. main money's on the pros, but there was something for everybody. I thought they did it really well in that regard. And so that money was there and they worked with different spirit brands and, and that was, hey, this is really rolling really well. That was a hard shift. And when it came back, we didn't have that same budgets mm. and what we were finding and why I can say like flair, I don't know in North America if it'll reach the same amount or level. It's going to take some time if it does, because the money is in cocktail competitions. Now, here's the reason why. If you look at what you're doing as a flair bartender or, or as a guest watching a bartender flipping these balls, you're like, that's really cool. It's very visual. Cool. I want to try that drink. But it doesn't always meant the drink was really good, right? And so we had to blend that. But then if you go, here's these bartenders, there's 100 bartenders in a competition, and they're all making a cocktail, and they all have the recipe. Well, that brand now gets 100 recipes yeah. rather than look at all these bartenders flipping bottles and people going, that's really cool, but I can't do that. Everyone can follow a recipe. And so all of a sudden, the brand money is in cocktail competitions. Mm-hmm. Will you see flair competitions come back? It's organic. It'll be it'll be really interesting to see, but I don't think those budgets will. And I just see it being like, uh, if I was a brand and investing money, it would be in a cocktail competition. Having said that, to your point, what you're bringing up is like we are seeing it come in. And there's there's flair bartending, which is almost two categories. It's exhibition style, mm-hmm. so juggling when you're doing multiple objects when there's a little bit of liquid in the bottle and it's really intricate hitting things to the beat all choreographed just like if it was like uh, uh figure skating right and it's all choreographed similar to that and then there's working flare working flare is i don't know how full that bottle is i don't know what objects i'm going to need depending on that and i'm going to do really short quick movements sometimes really flashy could be a twirl of the of the spoon a twist of the shaker and to your point flair came about from you know jerry thomas the blue blazer we Mm -hmm. had a contest that ken started and it was like what exactly what you've recalled correctly is flair bartending companies started to get into the mixology and the cocktail and the craft of it and so we had in in las vegas a blue blazer competition and it was about the cocktail with flair and that was so that blue blazer that fire that flair that's where the word the the whole flair bartending came from um and and that was it's a showpiece and you see that and even in today's day and age where we're doing uh table side cocktails you know, you go to the Connor bar, you can have that trolley come out. If you go to a steakhouse, many places have table side salads, Caesar salads, you know, steak, how they're cut. It's those are all the art of it. So you're exactly right. Um, and you can see uh, Zach in Toronto. Uh, he has uh, cocktails and dreams and he does a lot of virtual training and everything's online. And um, and he does a great job of just showcasing and showing, hey, we're going to do suction your the can yeah we're gonna do you know our pyramid pour where there's a multi-pour you know i think that i i wish everyone needs to get off the whole rainbow shooters i'm not gonna lie that's my least favorite uh someone's getting grenadine (laughs) 
<laughs> just grenadine. Just, just grenadine. grenadine. This is terrible. Don't make these. And, and when it comes and when it comes to functional flair, like at the end of the day, everything tastes better drop poured. So everything tastes better drop poured. So yeah. let's let's get into let's get into Maker's Mark and, and the diplomat role that you've taken on. It's only been about six months. Yeah, six so months? I started in July. July is when I started. Uh, and this role, so before the pandemic, after the Roxy, I was working at Gateway Casinos. Uh, and we went from 13 locations to 31 in the five years. Wow. I was beverage development manager. And we would take on, we were, it was great. It was a super fun team in the corporate team when I joined. And we really were focusing on growing and building our brands. And if you think in the gaming community, all the money's on the gaming side mm-hmm. and you're not going to get away from that. But where there was drivers is what we started to see in Las Vegas as well, which food and entertainment were really where you're getting some new business. And so it was great to work with them. And that really helped me in terms of seeing operations on a really high above scale, but also we were growing so rapidly that we didn't have a lot of pieces. So I'm having to build those into it and work with our teams on, we were just like Navy SEALs and just like, okay, what needs to get done and here, here, here. And you're a Jack of all trades. Uh, And I got to meet really great people across the country as we opened up those locations. Of course, then we're all put on on, on pause, essentially, for, uh, you know, uh, casino was really hit uh, pretty badly. And so uh, this opportunity came up and I've been waiting for something. I, I, lo- I love the West Coast. You know, you're, you're in Victoria and you're like, I just can't find my way out of here. I love it so much. Yeah. But what am I doing here? Is it is should I be here? Like <laughs> great spot. And, uh, and it's one of those ones that I love the West Coast and whether that's San Diego, San Francisco, Seattle or Vancouver. I love the West Coast of North America. And so um, traveling out east all the time for work, the longer flight, the time change, it was really exhausting uh, when you're putting into it. And Ontario is the biggest market. So, of course, mm. we're going to be doing a lot of work in Ontario. And there's amazing community. Like you talk about everything going on, like Toronto and Ontario in general, there's so much uh, mm-hmm. really good talent. And a lot of the talent from the West goes to the East and we cross over all the time. So, um, I just wasn't, it was something that I got really tired and was getting burned out. So the opportunity to work just in Western Canada was really interesting. So I was hearing about different offers and different brands. uh, And this one was the very first time I heard about just Western Canada and working for a prestigious brand like Maker's Mark. How incredible was this? I got to know, you know, in our, in my career, I've had some really fantastic influences from brand ambassadors or that be you know jeffrey myers you know matt jones who is flair bartending i know him from before yeah. and get recognized international scale like i still remember matt with the flair and then i was like he's an amazing whiskey chef are you kidding me <laughs> uh, you know Perfect tra- smooth transition yeah grow, uh, grow a big jeans. ass beard wear yes. flannel Transition yes. done. <laughs> yeah. You know, James Neal, you know, you see, you know, Kevin Brownlee. I've seen so, you know, Jay Jones. There's so many people who had a, a, that ambassador role and do some really good things. And so it was something I was interested in, something that I think many of us are like, dude, you have the coolest role. Like when Philip yeah. Duff was talking about it and Simon Ford and, you know, and like there's so many cool things with it. Uh, but it's a lot of work, but I think connecting with the community and allowing to give back to the community and by creating some interesting product knowledge, uh, uh, you know, uh, experience events. And that's how you can sort of create it into something that, hey, I get to do a really neat role, but how can I give back to the community and how can I, you know, increase the knowledge and, and the passion for it so that it really is a profession. 
right? So um, taking that on, I was really fortunate. We did five rounds of interviews in several months. And uh, I was like, man, I know there's lots of people going for this. If I don't get it, that's, you know, there's someone who's going to be really good at this. And every time I was like, no, I, yeah, I'm really good. I've done this, I've done this. And I kept going through and I felt really lucky. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that. And I think I told you in person, like, I really appreciate it. Cause what I learned is it's along the way, it's not one or two things that happened. And that's why I was in the position to, to, to be accepted into the role. It's, all my experience this whole time when we're telling stories is like this person had an influence and this person and this and this and this and it built me up to be it's it's within me and it's my character and i really enjoy going out and connecting with the community and representing a great brand like makers and i'm only able to do that because of people in my life who have influenced me to be a really good sort of hospitality person so for me, it feels an honor and a privilege and now i just get to take this ball and run with it and do some great things and make it my own well, I remember years ago, Bill Samuels Jr. saying that he'll never do, because I know that being part of Bean Suntory and being part of the bourbon community, like there's a lot of bourbon out in the market and we don't, we, we only see a fraction of it in, in Canada. Um, I remember him saying that he only ever make Maker's Mark, like Maker's Mark is, he'll never do a special bottle or single barrels or like go down the, the road a lot of it. And then like a couple of years later, 46 came out. <laughs> and and now the the single barrel and i know that um harry who you've met my my right hand guy at uh clive's he actually got a bottle of the single barrel yeah the last bottle at the the re- recent whiskey release as well and he got he spent like 900 dollars in two days on whiskey which was insane <laughs> i'm like my wife would kill me i'm glad that he's a single guy and he can go and spend 900 bucks without being questioned but my wife would kill me yeah. um but h- how do you feel about like because Maker's Mark's been quiet over the last couple of years. You've been the first diplomat, I would say, in what, five to seven years, maybe even longer? Yeah. So Ray Daniels was, uh, you know, that was within the portfolio. And he deals with Beam Suntory's whiskey brands and bourbon brands. And Maker's Mark was included with that. And he did a great job going nationally, talking about all the different fantastic worlds of whiskeys and bourbons. Mm-hmm. And then James Neal was doing, uh, you know, so our, our luxury brands and scotches and does a great job representing uh, those great brands across the country as well. And so you're right, though, like Maker's Mark really, they almost ran out of liquid, right? Yeah. Like that's, you're going to talk about like, why was it not really known very much? It was almost, it, they were running out. Like you talk about the brand itself, like Bill Samuel Sr. started in 1953. They sold their first ball in 1958. And then to your point, they didn't have a different release into 2010. (laughs) How did that happen? Like almost 60 years of you just, we make one thing and one thing only, right? (laughs) And they were consistent and they had an audience and they had a consumer base and they were like, this is really good. And they enjoyed it. And so it grew organically out of Kentucky into the States and now into a global brand. Uh, And so they didn't have, it wasn't like, well, hey, we're seeing these different trends with flavored vodkas. Okay, Mm -hmm. we should do a flavored one. And hey, we're seeing different flavor profiles of now like whiskeys and scotches and and all these different cast strengths. And like, what should we do? And we're like, we are selling barrels and we don't have the liquid. So if you remember the story, it was, we were at 45% uh, alcohol, Mm -hmm. right? And we're going to dilute down to 43%, right? And by that 2%, we're going to get a 6% yield increase globally and we'll be able to meet the the demand. And people are like, the hell you will. (laughs) People are like, nope, not going to do it. 
to, to speak to, you know, Bill Samuel senior is like, don't screw up my whiskey. And it's like, <laughs> if Bill was supposed to put it at 43%. Then it would be at 43. It's at 44. Yeah. <laughs> it's at 90 proof. You leave it there. Right? And they're like, okay, but you may see outages and you may see that price go up. And so they, they knew there's a very um, loyal market for, for maker's mark. And so in Canada, we didn't have stock and you're like, that was a rare bottle. And you're like, Oh, okay. You want to talk about scarcity? Like there just wasn't the juice. And so they couldn't make it. So in that time, I think it took them about six years. They increased the still. And when I say increase the still, no, they duplicated it. They replicated it. Having the same company that made the first still, let's have them go ahead and wrap it. We need to make another, but if we change the size of the still mm-hmm. the plates, if we change anything, if we change like, hey, can we use a faster yeast? Can we use a different ferment? Because can we go through the process? Can we streamline it? You know, do we have to go through our doubler uh, and our, our, our column still? Do we have to do that? Or can we do a faster process? We're like, if we change anything, we already learned, you're going to change like 2% and people were freaking out. Okay, let's not. So it took them time. It took them time to increase their production, but through replicating the exact same format of what they're doing mm-hmm. so every bottle of makers tastes like every bottle of makers you always known we didn't adjust the uh, they didn't adjust the mash build or change anything so over that time it took some time but now there's that liquid and so that's where my role i believe really came into play is we have enough now to talk about it again you know it's no longer needs to be within a portfolio they're still owned by you know beam centauri this fantastic company that really does care about the brands i feel very lucky that maker's mark is in there because it's not public traded so it's not mm-hmm. about the dollars and the investors uh it's about the integrity of the brands and if something's selling then don't change it you know it's selling well going back it's to the stills people i i always i always try and tell the story when it comes to like scotch distilleries and stuff like that when they change up the goose's neck they take yeah. a full like full 3D scan now. And when they replace it, they'll go through and put dings back into the goose's neck. So it's exactly the same as the one they just replaced because it will eventually run out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I actually, I think Bill Samuels Senior was up here a number of years ago. Uh, Bill Samuels Jr. was up here a number of years ago um, doing a seminar. And he was saying, and I, I still use this for my consulting, that every time they do a new batch, they go into a room with like 10 people and go, good dunk this is maker's mark like this is the one we have on the market right now and they taste a whole bunch of them and then they'll pick and they're like oh this is the maker's mark these ones need a little bit long time this one needs uh, like a little bit of um softer notes but this this particular batch right here is maker's mark and then they all agree on it and then that becomes maker's mark which i think is a phenomenal way of doing it and i think that people assume that all liquor brands do this but a lot of the time it's one person who makes the decision that it still tastes the same and yeah. then they roll it out, you know, and small, especially for small craft distilleries here in BC, you know, how crazy it is right now in BC. It's something that I don't think gets done enough. It's a bit of a, more of an echo chamber and uh, a bit more of an echo chamber and people have their friends come over and tell them it's great. And then they release it and it's not so great, but that's a whole different episode. You got it. And when I was learning like the, the, the bum, like that, that wood is actually changed because they're tapping into those barrels more often than almost any company because they want to make sure that the taste mm-hmm. profile is there. And when they're hand rotating these in the rack house, you know, they have to start for makers. It has to be three, you know, three summers in the top rack. So you get that real interaction with mm-hmm. the wood. 
And then they start rotating in the rack house. And you talk about like innovation and science, like they're looking at, okay, if we have to make another rack house, well, how do we make it so that the rack house that we Mm. originally have is the same? And they're like looking at putting temperature controls so that the second rack house would actually have the temperature controls. Like what's it in our first one? I was like, that's some pretty impressive. That's that's impressive. Yeah. And you talk about like, we work on consistency. And Denny Potters is a master distiller and plant operator. But to your point, he leads 25 distillers on the Mm -hmm. team and they all go through and like, is this what the taste should be? Right. Where I'm so fortunate. I just represent the amazing work that they do at the distillery. That's, that's my role. Uh, And so they, they produce some really great things. And I think it's taken for granted because you're right. The whiskey category is growing rapidly still. Um, When I, when I'm out in the market and talking and seeing the different products, Maker's Mark is just one that I just have to reintroduce to people because it's it's almost like there's so much out there and you go, oh, right. I love this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I find that I'm having a lot of joy in just reconnecting people with something. They go, man. I totally forgot. I really mm. do like this. And they come I haven't back. had this in years. Like it's yeah. exactly it, you know, and that price point on it, it's that one step up and we're seeing premiumization. And when you're talking about staff out there, we all know there's labor shortages and it's working smarter, not harder. So mm-hmm. it's using your ability to go, Hey, this is a weeded bourbon. It has really wonderful flavors of vanilla, caramel, oakiness. It's not bitter. It doesn't have a rye component that's really flavoring it. And that's what Bill wanted to create and how Maker's Mark was started is really burning the recipe and rewriting it. Right. Mm -hmm. So he created that style. And so it's getting people introduced back to it and go, oh, this is really good, you know, and the price is there. And then like when we saw different vodka brands or someone get bought by a celebrity, you're like, well, wait, why is it double the price now? (laughs) And you're like, so could it have gone up? I, I swear they could charge more for it, but I think they've, they've done it a, a service where it's like, no, we're going to charge a fair price for it. It takes a lot of, it's small batch, it's handmade. You know, there's some, there's some, you know, production process going on, but it, there's so much that is done by hand, tasted, sampled, checked, all of it done by hand, rotated by hand with barrels. So um, there's so much love that goes into it. And that's well, something that you can't replicate in just having it automated. Let's let's talk about by hand because it, the Maker's Mark bottle is obviously the most famous bottle when it comes to the hand dipped red wax. And they've done a whole bunch of different colored red wax to paint on the um, event or yeah. like I know Independence Day, they do blue, white, red and all that sort of stuff. Um, talk us through that because I think a lot of people believe that it's a special machine or something, but it is literally like just a bunch of people like dipping wax. It's a really cool thing. I totally, like, you're bang on with this because, you know, you joke, like, how many bottles do you sell? You know, when I heard, like, we do one fermentation gets us about 25 barrels. And I was like, wow, what? That's, okay, you have a lot more makers around the world than 25. Mm -hmm. Like, but Micah, we do that fermentation process like 25 times a day. You're like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I got you now. But yeah, on the production, it's still done, like, People check the bottle, right? So they check it. They make sure the label's on. They make sure the bottle. So this is a nice one with the with the private select uh, that I picked up here uh, in in Alberta. But yeah, BC just had their private select, and we can talk a little bit about that uh, if you want to know what's a little bit different about it. But it's wax dip, so someone's actually taking it, dipping it into hot wax, twisting, and then letting it sit, and those drips come down. When I started learning about that, because it's so iconic, uh, I was like what what about this can no other company do 
right? And I thought maybe the color, you know, because I've seen other companies mm-hmm. do colors. Okay, it's the color. And you talked about the red. No, it's not the red. So what it is, it's the tendrils. It's those drips that come down. No other company can create those on purpose. We've created them by purpose. And it's really unique to makers. And I thought that's really cool. And so I said, okay, it's done by hand, right? And so Bill Samuels created a liquid and his wife, Marjorie said, okay, Bill, wonderful liquid. You create everything inside of it. I do everything outside. So every dollar you put into it, Sean, I'm going to spend a dollar on everything else (laughs) around the facility, around the bottle, the packaging. So she decided on the package, the hand uh, label, hand cut label, the the font, everything was the stamp, the logo, everything that's there she created and she did a great job margie was super impressive and you talk about celebrating her she's in the you know the bourbon hall of fame yeah you know a huge integral part of it and why people go oh that looks awesome you know and it's very iconic on a shelf and so they were like we're gonna hand dip this and bill's like we're not gonna do that <laughs> we're, like, we're doing this bill I'm, uh, and I could just see this conversation. You're like, and then you know who won because there's a yeah. wax. <laughs> uh, she won. Absolutely. So it's done by hand. And I said, how, like, how does this happen? Like, how fast? You're like, how many bottles can you dip in a minute? What's the record? It was like 23 or 26, something like wow. that. Wow. Right? But here's the thing. They do, they do personality profiles at the distillery. And when you're getting a job and like you actually you might be really interested in working the dipping line, you know, you're really set for it. it's going to be, you know, you're not going to be numbed out by it, but you can only do it for half an hour at a time before you have to go to something, another activity. Otherwise, you will just like us bartenders wear you out your mm-hmm. body movements on just over and over repetitive motion. So um, it's really cool. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I want to get onto something personal right now, but I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but you're one of the most positive people that I've met in the industry. And when you get to our age and I'm going to completely understand, like I'm going to admit to this and I'm sure a lot of people who are listening right now or or watching are going to go, yeah, Sean's a jaded bitch. Um, But how do you stay like for young bartenders uh, who are coming through the ranks, you've obviously your career has evolved from, busing and dishwashing and cafes and stuff like that through the flare world and in now into a brand ambassador position how do you stay positive so fucking positive and i'm going to say so fucking positive as well as keeping that drive going um when you start getting because it is it does wear on you you know like don't get me wrong i love and i'm grateful that i get to travel and and visit and do conferences and stuff but it does wear on you you know like three o'clock wake ups and going to the the airport at five o'clock in the morning and stuff like that it's not the easiest thing in the world, but how do you personally stay po- as positive as you do? No, I think that's, I think it's a great one. And something that we've heard, I hear it right now and, and tell me, you know, your take on it as well. Cause you hear this as well, but like people are like, I've always been told like you leave your stuff at the door, right? Mm-hmm. So when you go into shift, like talked about Disneyland and you can talk about the Roxy and, uh, but like, that's where it was like, you leave your stuff at the door. You know, there's Michael with bills, like car doesn't start and this and that I'm fighting with this doesn't matter. I get to now play a character and just have fun. And so doing that was a break, honestly, from your life. And like, I don't have to worry about it. And then in eight hours or 10 hours or whatever it is, then I have to 15 hours. Then I have to go back to <laughs> hopefully have some money to solve one of my problems, right? Or or have some clarity and be like, look, I had a break to think about it and now I'm back. And so um you talk about, you know, I know you went through this and we talk about our why. Like why mm-hmm. are we doing it? And for me, I have to remember that 
working in this industry, for me, what filled me up, like hugs don't pay bills. So mm -hmm. I, I like hugs, but they don't pay bills. I definitely like money. But when someone's like, Micah, you've absolutely made our night. Thank you so much. That felt, dude, I get, I'm like, yeah, that was, that drove me. And so I don't just apply that to like, my guest is just different now. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's the new consumer and I'm doing a sampling or we're doing a tasting or a spirited dinner or something like that. And those are my guests. And then other times it's the frontline staff. And Vance Campbell uh, had an influence on me. He said, Micah, your frontline is your bottom line. And your frontline staff invest in them and good companies invest time and money into them, knowing that if they take care of them, they'll take their guests and that will lead a really healthy bottom line. And so I just want to take that sort of knowledge and then how would I get fulfilled? And if I have those bartenders, those managers, those owners say, hey, Micah, that was really great. Thank you so much. You know, you really invested. And I got a lot out of it. That that fills me up because then I was I added value, you know, and uh, so there was a, a term I had from different sales and running a different company. And it was fan of fit. Find a need and fill it. Think about wow. a guest coming in. Okay, it's your birthday. Think about a guest coming in. You come in with a party, blah, 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 and the staff don't acknowledge you say happy birthday. Mm. And you're like, I ain't, am I even here? Like, what is going on? <laughs> people, people want to be acknowledged. And so your job, my job as a server or bartender was to find a need. Why did you, hey, what brought you out tonight? Oh, I'm just visiting Victoria. Uh, you know, I'm from here, blah, blah, blah. I'm looking for a couple spots. Okay, wonderful. Your dialogue with that guest. Hey, I'm going to make you a wonderful cocktail. Welcome to Clive's. I'm going to have, like, here's what we do. And here's some suggestions. I want you to go see this person at Win. Mm -hmm. you know, go see Matt Majid at Win Cries Mary. You know, go see Kelsey Mitchell at, you know, Cafe Mexico. And all of a sudden they're like, wow, that's fantastic. I got to know more about it. I found a great spot. And guess what? They're probably going to come back to you for more suggestions and another great cocktail because they already enjoyed it and you were the source to the source. And so finding a need, asking questions, what brought people down here, right? Like, oh, yeah. we're up for a sporting game. Oh, I'm here for a business. I'm here on a date. Okay, let's make sure I watch those. I do the silent service, right? Mm -hmm. I come up, just not be obtrusive, you know, be there, but be in the background, you know, and so finding a need and filling it. And that's when I find that you can really touch into if you serve them on why they came out and you fulfill that need, they go, that was the best, right? And yeah, I'm contemplating Harry's been on my back at like next round of coasters we're doing. We're not because every time that someone comes in, we write on the back of the coaster where to go next and that sort of thing. So we're probably just going to get a list of bars and restaurants you have to go to on the back of the coaster for Clive's. My hotel may go, hey, we don't really want people like leaving Clive's, but like there's a lot of times where I kick people out and this is going to sound horrible, but I kick people out because they're only in Victoria for one night. And I'm like, I love the fact that you're here enjoying us. But like, if you're a cocktail nerd, like you should really go visit Clark and Company. You really should go visit Wind Cries Mary. Like, don't like you can spend the one night here. I would love that. And I love toasting you. But I was like, but you can go and see some fantastic bartenders if it's your last night in Victoria or it's, you're only here for one night and really enjoy Victoria as a whole instead of just little Clives. Like I could serve you five cocktails. You go back upstairs to your hotel room and go to sleep. Or you can have one cocktail here, one cocktail at Clark and Company, one cocktail at Courtney Room and so on and so forth. Yeah, um, you, you can incentivize that to have them come back. And I think what's important when we're talking about the business of it is it's reciprocated. And if it's not mm -hmm. reciprocated, guess who's not on the list? Right. <laughs> we all we all work with a bartender. And just like bartenders, the guest wants to go somewhere where they know somebody. 
right? Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, I know, hey, I'm here to see this person at Clark and Cobaba. Sean sent me. Okay, they get a little bit better service. Doesn't mean they get something for free every time, mm-hmm. but they just get acknowledged and like, hey, Sean was a great guy, blah, blah. And guess what? They're going to send someone that comes to their spot first. You got to mm-hmm. go to Clyde's. And so it, it's that circle and it builds everyone up. So what's the plan for the next six months? I know that you're six months into the, the role. I know with 2022, everything's sort of reopening up. Um, I'm sure there's a trip to Kentucky planned sometime in the new year for sure for you because I know that you have to go down and learn how to dip bottles so that we can start doing dipping bottles again because it's one of my favorite things with Maker's Mark seminars is yeah. the di- like hand dipping stuff. And of course, everybody starts dipping their hats or their 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 phone cases or something <laughs> like that. They they Everybody dips something. Yes. Um, so what's the plan for the next six months for you? Uh, so we get back to traveling. You know, we're all hopefully that international travel. We're starting to, you know, and as a company, Beam Center is very cognizant of the health and safety of, you know, everyone. And so it's like, do we really need to travel internationally? What's that like? So that's starting to open up more. So we're very excited. And just like everyone, we know that, you know, everyone can't wait to go somewhere, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, doesn't matter. Almost where, just yeah. let's go. Um so, yes, uh, I'm excited. We have uh, whiskey festivals coming up, right? Mm-hmm. So Victoria Whiskey Fest is coming up in, in January. And I'm so excited to be there and to be a part of it because before I was just an attendee. And now I get to create some really memorable experiences for people. So uh, we'll I got big there. plans. Yeah, big plans. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All the good key people do. And uh, we'll be there supporting it. So uh, I can't wait. So a lot of whiskey fests are coming up. Uh, and that's going to continue. Hopefully we'll do in more provinces, do more events as mm-hmm. they open up. You know, we've proven it. You know, if you have a hockey arena with a bunch of people, we can definitely have some events of our own then, uh, mm-hmm. that are hospitality based or, and community based. And so it's continuing that flow. Uh, it's I do get to go down to Kentucky for two weeks. And uh, nice. yeah, so I actually look forward to to again connecting with so many people we've seen virtually for so long uh, and, and to get to 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 be there uh, and feel it all again and so um, that'll be really great so festivals and a lot of really cool sort of uh, working I get to be the tour guide right so as mm-hmm. we bring people down for this private select uh, which is creating your own maker's mark recipe essentially you know with in a barrel and now we get to go down and, and sample that create that it ages and then you can come back and later oh. in the year it gets released and that's what the BC liquor stores did for their 100th anniversary with that private select and mm-hmm. you know they sold out it was like one per person well great there's only 249 bottles at most <laughs> come out of a barrel you know so <laughs> it didn't last very long so no. yeah the harry and i had to fight tooth and nail just to get one i was like i work for the brand <laughs> <laughs> always the way i was come on adele yeah i need something better for bc yeah so come on so there will be a lot of those uh we're looking at creating a lot of different experiences across the provinces and and bringing the community back together so what can people expect? Uh, it's working with bartenders and celebrating bartenders again. And what we were finding, I was talking to you, uh, you know, months ago about it was like, do you think people have been watching online for so long that they're now don't need bartenders and they're mixing their own? There's so much information out there. I was talking to, to Trevor Cayley's, who's an amazing, amazing person. So props to, to Trevor. He was like, you can't, the bartender can't bull poop anybody. You know, like, mm-hmm. hey, do you know about a paper plane? Oh yeah, I, I know that one. Like, no, do you realize that that guest, they made that 
They researched it on Google. It's the only drink they were making for the last 15 months. They know more about it. They've tried different <laughs> You as a bartender, you know too many spirits, too many wine, too many foods to know to zero in. I was like, they know it way harder than you. Training yeah. is going to be super important, right? Training is going to be super important. And how can I help uh, our community? How can I help businesses when traditionally we have January, February, March being slower months? Like mm-hmm. this holiday season, it's going to be great, a little bit easier. It's tougher this time, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, staff in certain places and just working smarter, not harder because we're already tapped out. But what can we do to make sure that our first quarter or opening up the year starts really strong for accounts? And that's for me to just come in and let's create some really cool guest experience. Let's create engagement. Let's create some training. Let's get us ready to have a really successful uh, and enjoyable community. And that includes the guests. So. Awesome. Yeah, no, Michelle and I met yesterday, so we've got a whole bunch. We got four days worth of stuff sorted out at different venues and the usual stuff. Um, so where can people find you on Instagram and that sort of thing? Absolutely. So I'm on Instagram, Makers Mark Canada West is the best way. Uh, YouTube will be sort of set up. I really haven't had much uh, into it, but we'll want to create some cocktails. There's some great people up there, such as yourself creating them. Uh, you know, likeable cocktails is great as well. So I oh, yeah. uh, haven't done as much with uh, with that in terms of uh, that platform, but Facebook as well. Uh, Mike could do Makers and Makers Mark Canada West. Uh, that's the best one to find me at. Um, yeah, that's... Well, man, I want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I know that we sort of bounced around a few different dates and times this week and was sort of trying to fit your schedule in with everything that you're doing in Edmonton and Calgary. But uh, I love hanging out with you. So I'm looking forward to January because I got we've got some cool stuff coming in January. Well, I really appreciate having me on and uh, and sharing with your community because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a user of you. Uh, I always <laughs> like listening to it. And uh, I just want to say thanks, Sean, because what you do matters. Uh, you no, I really appreciate that. And I'm always loving the... The quick, uh, you know, post shifts. Uh, sometimes there's long. Sometimes you have some great people on here: John Siminski, Stephen Beaumont. You know, you yep. Duff. Like you've had uh, some great guests, and you're always really good on just having really interesting conversations. And you're really easy to talk to, and that's what I love: people coming on your show and and you know just sharing. Uh, and you always bring out the best, and uh, you're you're wonderful. So thank you so much, and happy birthday, my friend. Thanks, buddy. I'll chat to you really soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening, Pose Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and peers and uh, just chatting about the industry and getting down to the nuts and bolts of what's really going on out there. Uh, Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, everything on all the platforms. Just hit it up and I'll do my best to answer any queries or questions you have. I'll see you next week, guys. Bye.